This is St. Louis Stories. I'm Nick Barella. This is St. Louis Stories. I'm Amelie Rode. This is St. Louis Stories. I'm Lauren Kersey. This is St. Louis Stories. I'm Sergio Hoja. Tekka Childress is a social worker. She works for an organization called BJC Behavioral Health as part of their homeless outreach team. She gets to know people who are homeless in the downtown area and connects them to mental health services if they need them. This job sounds extremely demanding on multiple levels. Yeah, Tekka regularly worries about the people who are slipping through the cracks at any given moment. Hi, Tekka Childress, part of St. Louis Winter Outreach. And I got involved working at BJC Behavioral Health on their homeless outreach team. So I work with people experiencing homelessness in the downtown area who suffer from severe mental illness. And I try to connect them to services. In the course of that work, uh, about 10 or so years ago, I was looking for one of my uh, people that I worked with because it was going to be a very cold night. And when I couldn't find him, I ran into another man at a bus stop who was uh, almost passed out. I called an ambulance, but they would not take him. I tried to cover him up and tried to get him help. Called the ambulance back. They wouldn't come back to get him. The long and the short of it is that he died that night, and I felt like I should have gone back in the middle of the night to help him, and I had not done that. And I realized that there was so much more we needed for people who were homeless in St. Louis, and that we could, that we could do more. Tekka saw a person fall through the cracks of a system, as I think many of us do, but unlike some of us, she did something about it. She is one of the founders of Winter Outreach. When it's cold at night, when the temperature falls below freezing, Tekka and her team are there providing clothing, food, and transportation to anyone in need. She saw a gap in the services and filled it as best as she could. Right, you'd think people would be thrilled, that they would universally agree this was a good thing, but it's not that simple. Tekka was arrested for disturbing the peace back in 2014, and now that St. Louis is considering a bill that would make it illegal to distribute food to the homeless without an expensive permit, she might be arrested again for her work. In a sense, this bill seems designed to undo all of the work Tekka has put into filling what she sees as a crack in the system. So what one person sees as filling a gap, another person sees as a nuisance, an unnecessary or even harmful interference. For the next few moments, we're going to tell the story of one homeless shelter filling what it sees as a gap in services in downtown St. Louis, along with the neighbors and businesses who couldn't disagree more, who think the homeless population of downtown St. Louis can and should receive services somewhere else. Locust Street is New Life Evangelistic Center. Its slogan is, working to be there when people are hurting. Reverend Larry Rice founded this shelter back in 1972. According to Larry, the city didn't even offer shelter permits back then, so he operated under a hotel permit, one that allows up to 32 guests. In a city with anywhere from 800 to 1,300 persons homeless, 
New Life houses 100 to 300 people any given night. Other people who work closely with the homeless have a lot to say about Reverend Rice and his center. Larry Rice is an evangelical minister first and foremost. And I think uh, uh, housing homeless and feeding hungry is secondary to his mission of spreading the gospel. I do not hold that against him. He makes no pretense of being otherwise. Uh, It's what he does, and if you go to him, it's what you should expect. There's so many people that are giving up. So many have lost all hope. And that's why it's so critical that we allow Proverbs 23:18 to be planted in our soul where it says, Surely there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. He has been a lightning rod drawing attention to the issue of homelessness and poverty for more than 40 years. Um, and he has been fiercely independent so that he can more or less speak truth to power. I'm Laurie Phillips. I'm the CEO at St. Patrick's Center. Larry, he's been a fixture in St. Louis my entire life. I think mean, mm-hmm. he was very zealous in the early years. Very much driven by the ministry and believing that the work they do is God's work, which I believe that it is, but just his tactics are totally different. Okay. All right. Larry's been a master at using the media for the last 40 years and, and staging events. You know, when I was younger in St. Louis, there were, you know, tent cities that got set up on yeah. City Hall parking lot. And, you know, there, were demonstra- there seemed like there were demonstrations all the time to bring attention to the issue. And so that's, that's something that Larry has done really well for the issue of homelessness over time. Um, and, it, you know, the rest of us could probably take a little bit of a lesson from him. In April 2013, the majority of registered voters and property owners within a nearby radius signed a petition to revoke New Life's permit. They said the shelter constitutes a detriment to the neighborhood. In response, the St. Louis Board of Public Services held hearings over a six-month period. On December 24, 2014, the board was finally ready to announce their decision. So lightning struck this Board of Public Service meeting which after hours of sifting through audio, I can safely say are usually pretty boring. Usually pretty boring. Now call to order hearing number 8160, the revocation of permit number 84777, New Life Evangelistic Center, Inc. Mr. President, I'd like to move that the operation of the New Life Evangelistic Center Incorporated uh, does constitute a detriment to the neighborhood. Mr. President, I do have a motion on the floor that New Life Evangelistic Center does constitute a detriment to the neighborhood. Do I have a second? Second. Please call the roll. Director Scobie. Director Watson. Aye. Director Bess. Aye. Director Walker. Aye. Director Gray. Abstain. And President Braley. Aye. I move the board revoke permit 84777 issue to New Life Evangelistic Center, Inc. I permit number 84777 
The board ruled that New Life does constitute a detriment to the neighborhood. And that 32-person hotel permit, the board decided to enforce it. They ruled that New Life needed to reduce its capacity to 32 people or apply for a new permit or close. New Life applied for this permit, which was denied in December 2015. But New Life is not going quietly. Reverend Rice and his supporters are very clear on this matter. The case is currently being heard by the Board of Building Appeals. If New Life loses their appeal, Reverend Rice says he'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court. They argue that as the only emergency shelter in the downtown neighborhood, they fill an essential gap in homeless services, and they're not leaving. The neighbors and developers who filed the petition are equally adamant. New Life must reduce its numbers by over 90% or close. To understand how New Life and its neighbors reached this point, we have to go back to the 1980s. decade of Reaganomics, shoulder pads, and parachute pants, the 80s was also a paradigm shift in the field of homeless services. Uh, this fall, we are approaching the 30th anniversary of what today is called the continuum of care. Uh, in the fall of 86, we established the City of St. Louis Homeless Services Network and network board. Um, this was the first coming together of area agencies seeking to address the needs of persons homeless. This was the very first such organization in the country. It was later recognized as a best practice and held up to all the other cities receiving federal dollars for homeless services, and they said, you need to do this too. Working with the homeless is a challenge because the population is so diverse. There are so many reasons why people become homeless. A person homeless might be a survivor of domestic abuse. A person with mental illness. A person dealing with drug and alcohol addictions. A veteran transitioning back to civilian life. A single mother or a family that has fallen on hard times. Tom Burnham recalls that in the early 80s, most St. Louis shelters housed all of these people, men, women, and children, under a single roof. We'd open the doors. We weren't asking names. There was no intake. We just let them stream in, and depending upon the dynamics of the room, would determine what our capacity was. But by 1985, Tom's shelter, Peter and Paul, decided they could provide calmer environments and more tailored services if they could restrict their clientele to a specific demographic. So Peter and Paul helped open new shelters that served only women and children, and they started working exclusively with men. Lori Phillips, the current CEO of St. Patrick's Center, says that this is still considered best practice. She likes to see small shelters, lots of them, dispersed all throughout the city. That's what the continuum of care attempts to accomplish. The big idea behind the continuum is that each organization can focus its efforts on a specific portion of the homeless population. For example, Queens of Peace is part of the continuum. They provide housing for pregnant or postpartum women. The Rosati Center houses people with mental illness. And so long as you have one organization bringing them all together, 
They can provide their tailored, specific services, knowing that other organizations are filling those other needs. You know, in those early meetings, we're just really introducing ourselves to one another. We're Salvation Army, and we've got Harbor Light on Washington. We've got Hospitality House on Carroll. We've got uh, Family Haven on Lindell. Uh, we're the St. Patrick Center. We're at Sixth and Biddle. We've got a drop-in center, the Shamrock Club, and we're doing mental health and substance abuse treatment. Uh, you know, so we're just coming together and learning who's doing what, and it's, okay, you work with women, so if I have a woman come to the door, I can send them to you. Um, that began in 1986. Since the 1980s, the Continuum has developed into a more formal partnership with the city of St. Louis. For example, its website is hosted by the city, which describes the Continuum as an advisor for the Division of Homeless Services, which is a sub-department within the Department of Human Services. Which is run by Eddie Roth, who ignored every single one of our many phone calls. Most importantly, the Continuum manages and oversees federal funding. It's basically a way to funnel money from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. When you talk to providers of homeless services, they talk about HUD a lot. The Continuum of Care is a structured organization that is a requirement of HUD. Any, any region that receives HUD funding has to form a Continuum of Care. There's a board of directors and there are several committees, I think maybe eight. Uh, St. Patrick's Center and all the, other, all the other service providers that operate within the Continuum and receive HUD money sit on a committee or the board or both. One of the committees is the Rank and Review Committee, and what the Rank and Review Committee does is they look at HUD's funding priorities, they look at what we got last year, and, and all of our programs in the continuum, and say, okay, what should we ask for this year and in what buckets? Basically what the COC does is it pulls together service providers to provide the best level of service for people who find themselves homeless. The continuum basically serves two main functions. First, it sets priorities and allocates funding accordingly. And second, it promotes conversation between many of the organizations providing homeless services so they can coordinate and make sure there aren't any major gaps in service. That's the idea behind the continuum, but it doesn't always work out that way. If the network is too dispersed, it becomes harder for people to move between locations. People might waste a lot of time going from service to service, looking for what they need, and gaps still sometimes appear in the system. This summer, on June 30th, one of the most popular shelters in St. Louis closed its doors. Bridge Outreach was a day shelter just a few blocks away from New Life. At the end of the day, when the bridge closed, people walked or rode a shuttle to a night shelter at 12th and Park. The bridge closed because the city decided to open a new 24-hour shelter that would combine the bridge's day services with the night services of 12th and Park. It was clear when the city committed to creating this shelter and drop-in center, Biddle House, that they had made the decision 
that the money that was going to the bridge was going to go to Biddlehouse. When do you think the city came to that conclusion? Over a year ago. Over a year ago. Without the city's funding, the bridge had to close its doors, and Tolton Park will close once Biddlehouse opens. So Biddlehouse is replacing these two shelters, but it's not located downtown. Biddlehouse is located just north, on Biddle Street and North Tucker, meaning there is no longer a shelter funded by the city and service through the continuum in downtown proper. In other words, the continuum of care shifted its downtown services slightly north, turning downtown into one big gap in services. In fact, New Life Evangelistic Center is now the only emergency shelter in all of downtown St. Louis. The city would be loath to admit it, but a lot of the impetus for Biddle House is in response to the effort by some to close down New Life Evangelistic Center. And the city would say it's not in response to that. We do this because we recognize the need. Well, the need has always been there, and some of us have always said the need is there. Here's where things get really interesting. That gap in downtown services that Larry is fighting to fill may have been created by him in the first place. For what it's worth, Larry Rice seems to feel he has no such obligation or interest in being concerned with his neighbors downtown. Um, the situation down there has been so poisoned for years, they're not interested in working with him uh, any more than he is with them. They're completely at cross purposes. When they testified at the Board of Public Services, the neighbors' main argument was that New Life is poorly run. They claimed it's unsafe for themselves and the homeless. After reviewing the evidence by the parties of the board, feels sufficient the grounds exist to find the operation of New Life Evangelistic Center, Inc. does constitute a detriment to the neighborhood in which it is located. New Life may have left such a bad taste in its neighbors' mouths that they became vehemently opposed to any shelters in their neighborhood. Well... I don't think Larry would say that. I, I think he might. I mean, I don't think he'd blame himself. I think he'd say that the well is already poisoned, but residents are the ones who poisoned it. Thank you for letting us come to New Life Evangelistic Center. Here's Larry's version of the story. In the 70s and 80s, the relationship between New Life and the city was very friendly. But it all took a turn for the worse when he started advocating for the homeless against what he saw as bigots and yuppies. And look up history late 1970s, early 1980s, first five years. Wow, we were out here doing all this good work and they're blessing us. They were even discussing naming streets after us. You go into my office, my walls covered with all kinds of plaques and all kinds of different things. So then I started again engaging in advocacy. Um, first third, about the first 10 years, everybody loved us. Then we started engaging in advocacy. All these people loved us. We're starting to say, look, you're part of the problem. I started doing protests. I even took a bunch of sheet and camped outside of City Hall and said, don't let the mayor pull the wool over your eyes, okay? Reverend Larry Rice would argue that the city government and New Life have very different approaches to not only helping but solving homelessness in St. Louis. Larry believes that you should put yourself in another person's shoes and that any other approach overlooks the humanity involved in the issue of homelessness. That's not to say that the city's approach, looking at the homelessness population overall, is any better or worse, 
is just different than Larry's practicing philosophy. I constantly put myself in the situation of the homeless. In fact, when Todd Waterman, the mayor's top aide, came and met, he brought one of his young men just going to work for City Hall, and they were going to only take care of the homeless when it got below 20 degrees. I looked at the guy and said, you've been out there when it's 10 or 20 degrees, when it's 25 degrees? I got rather upset with him. <laughs> and they knew I was, they hit the wrong button. After that, they're helping the people in the wintertime, regardless of what the temperature is. Larry feels that the city has been hounding him. It could be for any number of reasons. Larry's religious zeal, the city's insistence on a unified continuum of care, or just a difference in practice, to name but a few. Regardless, it's obvious that the issue has now reached a boiling point. Telling you, we're restraining ourselves here. If it wasn't for our faith and belief and Jesus' nonviolent methods, uh, this whole thing could blow wide open. I mean, we're seeing it blow wide open between African Americans and the police saying, you know, hey, you're going to shoot me. I might as well get you before you get me. Homeless people seeing it. And it's be very easy to see those people as enemies. We just keep trying to provide the services, but I'm afraid that if they succeeded, because they all know it, and they were to shut us down. You talk about you hadn't seen nothing as far as violence in downtown St. Louis. I wouldn't want to step foot in downtown St. Louis if that happened. It would be a very, very bad situation. It sounds extremely personal for Larry. But Francis Slay says, well, you know, the uh, opinions of the homeless are every bit as important as the opinions of the people that reside in Card Square. So we got to listen to the homeless and talk about a two-faced hypocrite. <laughs> he'll say that to black people that are poor in the Card Square neighborhood, but he'll dance to all the supporters of the rich white folks in this neighborhood, and that's what we're up against. That's the bigotry. We know we can't move anywhere else. We've drawn our line in the sand. I was brought up in Texas. Remember the Alamo? This is our Alamo, and we're not moving. This was St. Louis Stories. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> and while we didn't offer up any concrete answers, hopefully you learned a little about the gateway to the West and are a little more aware of the issue our city is facing. The different steps people have taken to care for those who are homeless and catch those that fall through the gaps. The story was produced by Amelie Swag Money Road, Sergio Rude Hoja. Lauren, the teacher, Kirsten. And Nick, I can't whisper, Barella. A huge thanks to Tom Burnham of St. Peter and Paul. Lori Phillips of St. Patrick's. Reverend Larry Rice, Dulcie, and all of the people at New Life Evangelistic Center. Tekka Childress and all the members of Winter Outreach. And lastly, thank you to Dr. Nathaniel Rivers of St. Louis University. <laughs>